Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. It's great to be here this morning. Pastor Alan and Joy are out this week, uh, but they are praying for you, and it's an honor to be here with you. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and about 10, 12 years ago, my wife, yeah, Missouri, right? Missouri's the good side, for those of you who know. Kansas City is split into two states, all right? You got Missouri and Kansas. Missouri's where it's at. Kansas, on the other hand, is the kind of state you drive through, and you start asking the Lord, what were you thinking when you designed this state? Like, there's no trees, it's flat, there's nothing good there. Uh, except for one, there's, actually there's one really good thing. About four years ago, John Huseman left here and he planted the Ark Church in Salina, Kansas. And uh, they have about seven or 800 people already growing, growing church. God's doing some great things. That's, that's what Salina's got to offer, right, Kansas? But otherwise, if you're driving down the interstate, I remember growing up as a kid, you'd be driving down I-70 or down I-35 and you'd be going along and people had made those homemade billboards, you know, like paint on a piece of plywood or paint on the picket fence. And you'd be driving along and the signs would say in 10 miles, seven headed snake, two headed calf, fattest pig in Kansas, you know, like the circus had stopped in Kansas and retired there and they had like these like freak animal zoo shows or whatever. So if you got bored driving down I-70, you always had a place to stop. Um, but for us Texans, we're like, you know, I'm not stopping anywhere. <laughs> Until I was driving my soon-to-be wife down the interstate, looked up and my gas gauge said seven miles to empty. Great, except for the next sign said 37 miles to the next gas station. Y'all, y'all know those people who are happy at every, all the time? It doesn't matter. I'm looking at her and she starts laughing. I'm over there pouting. I'm mad. I'm trying to impress her. I'm getting ready to take her to introduce her to my family. And I can't even check my gas gauge. I'm thinking I'm about to break down with seven-headed snakes on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. And I was getting mad, but she said to me, the pastor in the car, um, we should pray about it. God can help us. And she was so excited, and I'm not, I'm not proud of the moment. I was like, are you serious right now? <laughs> really? Really? I didn't put gas in the car, it's my fault. So we coasted into the gas station on Holy Spirit fumes. And men, as you already know, she was right and I was wrong. The next 100 miles of the car ride was uh, very quiet. Um, You've been in those situations. It was quiet because I was talking to the Lord. Because I realized in that moment that there was something inside of her that was not yet inside of me. You see, she believed that God could help us no matter what. I just preached about it. And I found myself driving in the car asking a very real question. I I say I believe that God can help. I tell people I believe that God can help. But do I really believe that he can or will in my life? You see, the challenge comes when it's something that we've messed up, right? Every man in the room is like, amen. 
Because the hardest kind of help to ask for is the kind of help (laughs) that we need because we got ourselves there. I remember driving in the car thinking this is my fault. Why would God help me with something as small as gasoline in my car? It really challenged what I believed. I started asking the question, when it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, do I believe that there is a God out there who's not too big to see my problems, but is big enough to step in and help me in any and every area of my life. If we're all honest with ourselves this morning, we found ourselves in situations in life where we need help. Maybe we caused it, maybe we didn't. Maybe it showed up on your doorstep one day unannounced and you found yourself reeling from the consequences of things that were going on in the world around you. But the reality is whether we asked for it ourselves or or whether we caused it or whatever situation you find yourself in, We have to get to a place where we believe that God can actually help us. Sometimes in life, it's not just a matter of knowing we need help. Because sometimes we know we need help, uh, but we're not going to admit we need help. And so I'll never forget, it's kind of like this. If you think about it, um, knowing you need help and getting the right help are two totally different things. Which is why our generation is suffering from information overload. You can get on Google and type in any of life's biggest questions and get 17,000 bajillion answers back and not be able to find one thing that helps. How is it that we can be in one of the most self-help generations ever and and find all these answers and solutions and problem-solving tactics and yet feel like we have fewer answers than we've ever had before? Sometimes it doesn't matter the access to the information because sometimes it's even the people closest to us. If we're honest, we've listened to advice of very well-meaning people in our life. Maybe it's your friend, maybe it's your spouse, don't you dare nudge them or you have to come to the altar and pray about it later. (laughs) But sometimes we've received information or answers from people around us and what we found in life is it's not as helpful as we would have liked it to have been. And while they meant well, it wasn't the answer that we needed. So we find ourselves asking, when I need help in life, where do I go? Where can I turn that will actually help me? One of my favorite stories in my time here at the Ark Church has been, I was in my office one day, and a seven-year-old boy comes pounding on the front door of the church. And he comes pounding, he lives about a mile down the road, mile and a half down the road, and he comes uh, down the street because he got off the school bus. On the school bus, he had three older kids who were bigger, badder than him and were bullying him. They were threatened to beat him up after he got off the bus. And so he took off running, backpack and all, hauled his tail all the way over to the front door of the church and is pounding on the doors of the church. I saw this as a great opportunity to minister, no, to steal the church golf cart and drive it down the public road. I've always wanted to do that. And now I got my chance. So I put the seven-year-old kid in the golf cart and we take off and I'm driving him over to his house so that I can walk him up to his door. And I asked him, I said, have you ever been to the Ark Church? He said, no. I said, well, you know do, you know, do you go to a church? No. And I asked him this question. I really wanted to know. I said, so why did you come to the church? And he looks at me in the way that only a seven-year-old can, and he says, because I heard that's where you go when you need help. A kid, never been here, never heard the words that are coming out of our mouth, never seen the praise, never seen the worship, never seen the God in action that we serve, and yet he's seen something in his world, that says, when I really need help, there's a place to go. You know, when we get down to it, when we find ourselves in those situations in life, 
where we don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn, there is a God who can help. It's one thing to say it. It's another to believe it. The last thing is this. Sometimes when we need help, we find ourselves in situations where we feel like the situation we're dealing with, the challenge we're wrestling out, the issue that has come up over and over is beyond repair. Maybe you've been in a situation, and it's one thing when you're watching this youth conference video of teenagers when they're hearing it for the first time or wrestling with a challenge for the very first time, but you're looking at me this morning and you're saying, yeah, but I've been going through this for years. I've seen this pattern in my life before. I've seen this cycle happen before, and I tried a few years ago, but I kind of threw in the towel. I kind of gave up because I've just resolved or I've just accepted the fact that my situation is what it is. Can I tell you this morning that we serve a God who doesn't believe that it just is what it is. We have a God who can help us in the challenging, tough, and difficult situations in life, which means this for you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've gone through, the things you're dealing with right now. We have a God who believes that your situation is not beyond repair. That there's no help that is too big or too much or too, too far-fetched to be experienced in your life. This morning I want to share a story with you out of John chapter 11 about a woman named Martha. Martha had a brother, his name was Lazarus, and Lazarus passed away. Martha and Lazarus have a sister named Mary. You've heard of Martha and Mary before probably in other gospel stories that we have, uh, we've shared with you. And in this situation, they happen to be the friend of Jesus. So when Martha knows that her brother is ill, she remembers her friend Jesus, who she's watched heal people, help people in their darkest hour. So she sends word to Jesus to come and help her brother Lazarus, who is ill and falling deathly, deathly ill. And Jesus gets the message, but doesn't come right away. And Martha is met with this challenge as Lazarus passes away of what do I do now? What do I do when the situation is beyond repair? What do I do now when I don't know what to do? Jesus steps in on the scene and we continue the story in John chapter 11. It says this in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, uh-oh, my brother would have not died. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, and the one who is coming into the world. Martha, I'm so grateful that my story is not written in the Bible for everyone to read. But Martha is a great example of what do we do when we're met with a challenge we don't know how to fix. When we need help that's beyond the strength of our own or the people around us. And the first thing Martha does is she goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, everything would be different. And I can imagine Jesus in a different account of this just saying, but I am here. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. I'm right here. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he looks at her and he says, your brother Lazarus, who is dead, he will rise again. 
And Martha says what every teenager says, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But what Jesus says to her is that he's going to rise again. See, Martha was putting it off as something that would happen one day, and Jesus is looking at her saying, no, the help you're asking for is coming right now. Do you believe it? See, Martha got challenged because she found herself in a position where she was blaming God. Jesus, if you had been here, things would look different. And we have to give her credit because she had some faith that she brought to the table. She came to the table saying, Jesus, I know you well enough to know that if Lazarus was alive but sick, you could heal him and you would heal him. But the challenge, Jesus, now is this. He's not alive. He's dead. And because he's dead, I no longer believe that there's anything that can be done. Her faith was there to believe that God could do something in a situation that was living but not dead. We have to move our faith to a place where we believe God can help us when things are easy, but also when our stuff is hard. It's one thing to say, God, can you help me with my gas? It's another to say, God, can you help me in a situation where my finances are beyond repair? My child has gone astray. God, can you help me with healing in our family? Whatever it may be for you, can we believe God for the hard stuff, for the dead stuff in our life? And the answer that Jesus gives us when he says, I am the resurrection and the life is yes, I can. I am the resurrection and the life. Thief comes to steal and take life away from you, but I came that you may have it abundantly, which means Jesus says this, I'm not just waiting for you to get to heaven one day for things to be good. I can help you have things good right here and right now. And that's the question Jesus was answering. But he left her with a question. But do you believe? But do you believe? You see, when we enter into a situation or challenge in our life where we need help and our first words out of our mouth are blame, we'll find ourselves in a very difficult situation. My nephew is about three years old. His name is Reed. Uh, one, uh, last summer, he was going along and he tripped and he fell and he didn't have shoes on and he scraped up the top of his foot. My sister took him in, put him down for a nap. He's crying, crocodile tears. She puts socks and pajamas on him and she puts him in the bed. When she goes to wake him up, his sock had fallen off the other foot that was no longer, did not have a boo-boo. And she hears him exclaim at the top of his lungs, God healed me. <laughs> a couple hours later, his other sock fell off. He looked down at his foot and he saw the scrape that was there before and he shouted again at the top of his lungs, God put it back. <laughs> you realize and you see how quickly blame can kill belief in our life. So we have to be careful. We have to watch the things that have happened. You see, Martha was focused on what had happened. Blame focuses on the things of the past, what did happen. Belief believes for what can happen. Belief is a, a rising of faith inside of you according to the word of God that he can and he will help. That he can and he will heal that he can and will be there for you, that he can and will be your friend and your comforter and your helper throughout all the issues of life. But we have to begin from a position of belief. The story goes on, Lazarus has passed away and Jesus has come and said, I'm gonna be the resurrection in life for Lazarus. But there's a challenge that arises in verse 39, it says this. Jesus standing in front of the tomb where Lazarus had been laid said, take away the stone." I love that line. Take it away. 
First words out of his mouth, very prophetic. He knows that Lazarus is about to be risen from the dead. Take away the block. Take away the barrier. Take away the hindrance that is keeping life from happening. And the tomb is rolled away from in front of your problem, in front of your dead situation that you've always thought probably will never come back to life again. And Jesus literally says, move the tomb away because I'm about to do something. But then Martha's mouth opens up and says this, Lord, by this time, my brother, who already smelled bad anyway, is going to smell really bad. There will be an odor because he has been dead, lying in that tomb for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Powerful line. If you believe, you will see something that no one else can see. If you believe, the thing that is dead can come back to life. If you will believe the problem that you're facing can turn around and God can do something for your good that you never even saw coming. But sometimes it stinks. Sometimes it smells bad. Sometimes it feels hard. Sometimes our thoughts get the best of us. I am a youth pastor. I know the definition of stench. We teach Two things in our youth ministry here at the Ark Church. The first one is, know Jesus. He will change your life. The second one is, if you're a junior high boy, there's this thing called deodorant, and it works. So use it. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. We get done with events like last week, and we start telling testimonies of people who got saved and people who started using deodorant. But how many of you know... There are some things that are worth the smell. There are some things that are worth the challenge. There are some things that are worth the hardship. There are some things that are worth the setbacks. And when I walked into the youth auditorium on Wednesday and I smelled this fragrant odor of good fragrant smell. You know, you walk into somebody's house and they're overkill on the bed, bath and beyond. I walked into our youth auditorium about 30 minutes before service and was trying to pray. And all I can think is this place smells way too good. And I go on a manhunt looking for the uh, air spray freshener around the room that ended up. We have the cleanest church in the world. Y'all give it up for Abby and her team, the operations. We are so blessed that I did not know um, that the room smelled so bad this week from last weekend that they had to shampoo the chairs because of the sweat. Would you guys like my job? You, it's, oh, you, come on. See, when we think about the smell, sometimes it's hard to endure. But then when you see something like this, you see a picture of what that smell represents. Of the students whose sweat is now literally trenched into the carpet. Because they worshipped so hard. Because they fell to their face and said yes to the things of God. Because there is a generation of young people who hear from God, see God's movement in their life, and regardless of what the world says, they believe there is a God who can help them. That, that makes it all worth it. See, Martha smells the smell and says, I don't know. I don't know if I can go there. 
stepping into my pain. You're stepping into a very challenging situation. Martha finds herself in a situation where, honestly, if I was written in this book, I've been there before too. Where I was found guilty of rejecting and resisting what God wanted to do because I was afraid of the smell. Because I was afraid of the challenge. Can I encourage you this morning that any emotions or feelings or thoughts or setbacks or stuff going on in your life, as loud as they may scream, can I promise you this, that there is a God whose promises stand stronger, that his word, he is faithful to it. And if he said it, he will do it. He means what he says and he says what he means. He'll do it 1000%. You heard that before? That's the God that we serve. He'll help you. But like Martha, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we believe? Do we believe he can help us right where we're at, right here and right now? The first key to exercising our faith and upping the level of faith in our life that will change the outcome that we see is that we have to start believing it before we see it. The greatest challenge often when it comes to our faith, like Martha, before Lazarus was raised from the dead, could she believe that God could and would? We have to believe it before we see it. Uh, I've been married for 10 years, but when I was married for about 10 days, uh, I was still getting used to all the newness of marriage, like the fact that there is another human being in your room. And I sleep really deep and I sleep really hard, and sometimes I have dreams of seven-headed snakes from Kansas um, crawling through my living room. And one night, 10 days into marriage, I was sleeping, and I was dreaming about these snakes that were crawling into my house and climbing up my bed. And in my sleep, I just came right out of it, just as scared and freaked out as possible. Don't judge me. I see the judgment eyes. Please, please. I hate snakes. And I came out of my sleep, but I wasn't really awake. I was still asleep, but I just knew there were snakes in the room. So in my half groggy eyes, when I looked up and could see something I'd never seen before, which was a long strand of black hair laid across my pillow... I just knew that I had to take care of that seven-headed snake. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. We're still married. I learned a few things. But how many of you know, when you believe something strong enough, you can start to see it in your life? We have to believe it before we can see it. There are some things, a phrase in this world that people often use. Seeing is believing. What they mean is when I see it, then I can grasp it. And if I can grasp it, then maybe I can put my belief in it and I could stand on it. You'll hear people say, ah, if God does this, then I can believe. No, the currency of the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. It's actually the opposite. The opposite is this, believing is seeing. When our faith is rooted in the word of God and faith comes by hearing the word of God, we can believe it before we even see it. Which means everybody can look at your life and say it's never going to get better for you, but you can say that's not true. Why? Because the word of God says differently. That means you can be in a situation that maybe somebody you know is in the exact same situation, but you stand taller. You stand different. There's a confidence in you. There's a resolute spirit within inside of you because you know that you don't have to see it to believe it. All you got to do is hear it from the word of God. When my mom was in third grade, her mom, my granny, took her to the eye doctor. 
because she had been complaining about not being able to see everything on the whiteboard, on the chalkboard at school. And uh, notice how I do that? Chalkboard, not whiteboard. Go back a few years. <laughs> she came out of the eye doctor and they gave her a pair of big fat lenses. You know, I'm, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And she walked out and she's standing in the parking lot and she looks at a tree and she tells her mom, she says, mom, what are those things on the tree? My granny looks at her and says, girl, I know I raised you smart. Uh, those are leaves. My mom said to her, I didn't know you could see actually individual little leaves. So she's seeing in the third grade the individual leaves that had been there the whole time. You see, a new lens changed her perspective. Her new lens allowed her to see something that had actually always been there. She had just never been able to see it before. And our faith does the exact same thing. When we put our faith on the word of God, what happens is we can start to see things that God has already been doing. We just could never see it before. Which looks like this. No, these are not readers. I'm not old enough. I may be bald, but um, when I put these on, I can see something different. And the challenge is this. When we view our faith like this set of glasses, what we do is we put on the word of God and our faith changes our perspective. So when we put them on, what happens is this. You may be in a health crisis, but you believe God is your helper and your healer. So when you put it on, you can see things you couldn't see before. You believe that God is your friend and your comforter. You're putting your faith lens on and you're looking through it. The challenge comes when we take it off. And the greatest challenge to keeping our faith lens on is the fact that we deal with challenges and circumstances that come our way. But every single day, we have the choice, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we live by faith and we don't live by sight. You want to see the goodness of God in your life, the help of God in your life? You have to believe it before you can see it. The second thing is this, believe it until you see it. You got to believe it before you see it, but you got to believe it until you see it. Some of y'all know the drill here. I did believe it on Sunday, but Monday rolled around and it was, it was hard. I did believe when I was young, but now do you see my bills and now do you see my life and see my struggles and my addictions and my problems? And you have to believe it until you see it. The choice we make every day as people of faith is to live by our faith until we see it. So don't quit. Don't give up. There's somebody in this room and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. But that's the fight of faith. Rising up inside of you to continue believing the word of God over your life that he can and he will help you. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Just don't stop. I'm going to go old school for a second. Psalm 77. It's not going to be on the screen, so the computer guy, don't freak out back there. I'll read it straight from the word of God. In Psalm 77, it says this. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted, the psalmist says. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit, it just falls. He's ready to give up. He's ready to quit. He's ready to throw in the towel. It doesn't seem like it's working for him. He gets to a place like many of us have been where he starts asking if the goodness of God can come in his life. And in verse seven, he says, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable to me? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are all his promises at an end for all time? Are they coming back? 
Has God forgotten to be gracious to me? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? And he begins to go on this path where his feelings and his thoughts are starting to slip. And then he does something that I believe for every person who needs to hold on until you see it, he shifts his focus. And here's what he says. He said, then I said, I will appeal to this. I'll stand on this. To the years of the right hand of the most high. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Your way was through the sea, yes, and your path through the great waters. Your footprints were yet unseen, but you led us up and out like a flock by the hand of Aaron and Moses. In the middle of his trouble, he shifted his focus. And when his focus began to slip, he got a new perspective because he believed that God was who he said he was. He could do what he said he could do. And the things that he remembered from of old, he could do again. You find yourself in a situation, you're not sure if you can hold on until you see it. Then go back and look what God has already done. Has he saved you? Yes. Have you been in a pit before that he pulled you out of? Yes. Have you been in a place where you've been on your knees sweating like those kids before the Lord and he heard your cry and answered? The answer is yes. So when you remember and shift your focus on what he has done, it changes everything about where you're going. Hold on until you see it. The last one is this, believe it when you see it. Believe it when you see it. That's the choice that every single one of us have to make today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And that is this, when I see God's hand upon my life, will I acknowledge it for what it is? Will I celebrate? Will I thank him? Will I praise him for what he has done? You see, Jesus goes into the tomb and pulls out a man who had been dead for four days, dead to living. And he comes out, Lazarus comes out of the grave and they unbind him from his dead man's clothes. And he walks around with new life. And there are people there standing and watching. And it says in the Bible, like it does after most accounts when Jesus does something miraculous. It says this, many people believed. And I love that line, but it also implies that there were many people who did not. You see, the choice was for whoever was standing there, that when you see the hand of God moving and working in your life, despite what people tell you, despite what the doctors say, or your friends, or your past, or your family, will you choose to believe that God is helping you and that he has done some great things? When my son was born, about 24 hours after he was born, the doctor came into the room and said, there's some challenges with his head on his skull. Most of the bones in his skull were fully formed, and that's a problem for an infant. They're supposed to be able to grow and expand. So he had four places on top of his head, and I'm not going to lie to you. I cried about it, but I prayed, and I stood on the word of God. We had scriptures. We believed no bone on his head would be broken, but what we could see was different than what we believed. I remember praying. We saw two or three doctors and 
they all told us he would have to have eight to 10 surgeries over the first two years of his life. I remember thinking at 24 hours of life, this is an injustice. This is not right. This is not the way God intended for it to be. I will not blame God. I will hold on until I see something good. We prayed for three or four weeks and we went to see the leading neurosurgeon in downtown Houston. We're so grateful for the incredible doctors and the incredible medical care we have around here. And we walked into his office and we sat down. We were there for all of about two minutes when he laid his hands on top of his head and he said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your son's skull. And in that moment, I looked at, it took us 30 seconds to say, thank you, bye. And we walked out those doors and we walked into the parking garage and I'll never forget the tears that just began to flow in our life. We didn't say, oh, you know what? I think I need to go ask another doctor. I need another opinion. No, we had the leading physician neurosurgeon in Houston tell us it was all good. Guess what? He was only saying what we believed our God had already said. And the whole way home, we worshiped and we prayed and we thanked God. Why? Because when you see the goodness of God in your life, you praise him. It's the only response. Some of you have been going through some things and you need the help of God. And maybe it wasn't just three weeks for you. Maybe it's been a while, but guess what? He's not finished and he's not done. He's true to his word. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I believe there are people in the room right now. There's an area of your life where your faith, you know, God is calling you to the deeper level. It's time to exercise it in a way you never have before. And maybe there's an area of your life where you just need help. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're not gonna call you out or embarrass you in any way. All we're gonna do is help add our faith to your table. If that's you, and you have some stuff that you need to believe God for, some stuff going on in life, would you just slip up your hand? We wanna pray for you this morning. We believe in a God who can help you. Thank you, I see hands all over the room. We've, we've, we've all been there. We've all had stuff. We all need the help of God. Thank you, I see your hands. Can I encourage you this morning? Believe that God can and will help you. Thank you. We'll pray for you here in just a second. Is there anyone else in the room who you've never said yes to Jesus or maybe you've been far from him for a while? And you know that now's the time that the Lord is calling you to him. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? We're gonna pray for you as we say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time or maybe coming back. Thank you. God sees your hands. He sees hearts. We're so grateful for what he's doing. Let's pray this together. Dear God, I know mankind needs a savior and I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins and that God raised you from the dead. And right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you and I'm a new creation in Christ because I said yes to you. God, I pray for every person in the room right now who needs your help in their life. We ask, Lord, that they would hang in there until they see it. They would stand on their faith. Even if they can't see it, we know that you can and you are working. You are fighting the battle on their behalf. We're grateful to have a God who doesn't leave us to do it all on our own. Who like Lazarus, Lord, whose very name means God helps, we know that you help us. We're grateful and we believe that greater things are yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope this message has blessed you. We have services every single Sunday at 9 and 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7. We'd love to see you here. Have a great week.